0: Welcome to Bad Law, Worse Facts. My name is Michael Sakwa. Today, I got Teddy back on the show. He just got a huge, huge settlement. Honestly, I don't know how you came up with the damage model. I think liability was an issue, but the damage model was crazy. But you got to tell me about this case. Yeah, Mike. Thanks for having me back on the show, man. I always like to be on bad law and worse facts, just so long as I'm not making that bad law. Just dealing with the worst facts. (laughs) But really interesting case, man. And uh, it was a pleasure to work with this family. The real challenge of this case, there were some liability issues, but it was, how do we figure out how to represent the 26 years and the relationship that my client had developed over the course of a career in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, playing with scouting, rather, for the Houston Broncos. And So that was the real challenge of this case. And uh, I'm happy to come on the show and share with you how I developed a pretty substantial damage model to represent what this guy had done and what he would have done had he not been involved in this tragic, tragic action. So what are the facts of it? What are we talking about here? Who are you suing? What happened? You got to tell me a little bit about the facts of it. Well, rather than tell you, Mike, why don't I just show you? What are we looking at here? So this is going to be about 10 minutes after this accident happens. Okay. Okay. All right. And this is a police cam? This is going to be dash cam footage coming up. And this happened in uh, South Houston. Um, What you're looking at is a stretch of roadway widening project going on by one of the largest construction companies in the world. You're looking at the perspective of my client, again, about 10 minutes after the accident happens. So this is the same route you would have taken his exact same perspective. And so he's traveling along, he's heading uh, westbound, he's heading home, he'd been in Pearland earlier in the day. He was an avid bicyclist, about 65 years old, loved to ride, it was one of the ways he trained. He came up here, new construction, he didn't want to go over the overpass, so he decided to turn onto this newly constructed road. He's in the laneway, our theory was he doesn't want to be in the laneway That's unsafe. And so he makes the prudent decision to get behind those barrels, but rather than be behind the barrels, he decided to go on the sidewalk. He encountered that a-frame, but what he didn't realize, what was unmarked and unwarned of for him, is that there was a ten-foot-long drainage condition called an armor curb, sitting directly behind that a-frame, effectively a bear trap in the middle of the sidewalk. It caught the front wheel, of his bike pitched him over his handlebars, and the good man broke his neck and died. So that's where we start. That's the basic facts. Before we get into liability, like tell me about this guy because you had a little bit of a what I would consider damage issue. I mean, you've got a guy who's making, what, like 130 in scouts in the NBA. The biggest problem, and it wasn't a problem, it was just a, an issue of how do you properly show the quality of this person and who he was, what he could do in the league. So B.J. Johnson, who you're looking at here, was a 26-year member of the Houston Rockets. He had played some college basketball and played semi-professional basketball. He joined up with the Rockets in 94, 95, I think for the second of their championship runs, and he'd got the ring. But he'd stayed with the team, and he'd been a scout. Now, everyone we talked to said, look, as a scout, that doesn't fully capture his, his skill, his expertise, or his relationships in the game of basketball. Right. But me as the lawyer, all I've got to work with is an earnings statement and a, and a contract that says he was a scout getting paid about 130 grand a year. What you're telling me is, you look at it like any other case, you're thinking, salary, let me get economists to tell me how much you would have made, and then build a plan that way. But you're saying, look, that's not what you can do here. How could I possibly give the truthful telling of this person's story and who he represented in the NBA and across the world of basketball, if I didn't include all of what he could have been, which is what we do with every client who's involved in a death case or or has a significant or serious injury. What can you do? What is your human potential? What is all of our human potentials? And the telling of this man's life was not only that a scout is a minimal position, it's not, it's significant, but what else could he have done? and receive significant remuneration for in the game of basketball, given his knowledge, skill and expertise. And so me as the trial lawyer, I need to figure out a strategy and build a body of evidence and build a model that is gonna be able to explain and put substance and body to what this man was and what his skills portended to over the next 10 years in the NBA. Now we had some other problems. I just wanted to jump aside. I mean, he had some health concerns. He'd never been offered formally an assistant coaching position. But the NBA is an informal world. So how do I get around that? And how do I show effectively the jurors and the insurance carrier and that construction company? This is what this man could have done had his life not been paid. So you've got a 65 year old with some health concerns and you have got to jump into the business of the NBA, which I mean, you said is it's not linear, right? Figure this all out. How do you, how do so you put that all together? Well, the first thing you do is you find somebody that knows something about the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, when you've got a guy who's got a 26 year career in the NBA, his family's pretty well entrenched and they don't oh, and yeah. they know some people that you can talk to. Yeah. So when you've got access to Daryl Morey, you've got access to the GM of the Houston Rockets, Raphael Stone, when you can talk to a former counsel of the Players Association in the NBA, you've got some people that you can rely on for expertise and some information to guide you in the right point. So that's the first thing I did. I said, Hey, first of all, who is this guy and what could he have done? I mean, tell me about him. He's incredible. He could have done whatever he wanted, his relationships. Are almost uncalculable how important they were and how much they mean to people in the end doing what they could have done with them. Yeah. Well, that gets the mind spinning. Okay. I need to go talk to some people to verify this and build it up. The first thing we do is we talk to, uh, identify somebody that I think can actually function as a, as an expert to do a forensic analysis of this potential in India. Step one. Okay. You got to find an expert who can talk about this kind of stuff. You got to find somebody. Yeah. And I will say this: one of the great things about Workforce we have access to wonderful experts who can actually guide us in the direction of, of other experts. And so, our economist in this case is actually the same uh, guy who worked on the the evaluation for the state of Kobe Bryant. And so really? he had some really good, really good insight as to how he wanted, he thought to develop this model initially. So I said, okay, you know what you're doing. And you know, that's the guy to talk to. You, you know how to work <laughs> these things up, big man. I'm going to listen to you on this one. And so I. He said, look, here's what I think we can do, because I've been in this position where I've dealt with some of the celebrity cases, and I treated this as a celebrity case. And he said, you need to go find somebody who can, who can really work this up. Yeah. So we did. We identified a guy named Hal Diegas, who worked at two of the largest agencies in sports, XL and I think Wasserman, was also, like I said, I think associate counselor, counselor for the NBA Players Association. I had acted as an agent, uh, like I said, and then had transitioned to some other roles. And he was—he has a JD and was an adjunct at both the UCLA School of Law and the Miami School of Law. So that was step one. Yeah. But after that, you got to go find some people. Part of this podcast is giving young lawyers the idea and having them realize, you know, the world's always there, right? What I mean by that is, how do you get someone who's just a scout and evaluate him as a coach? And that's what you did, right? You took the deposition of LA Lakers coach, didn't you? Yeah, well, we were lucky because he became the head coach of the LA Lakers during the pendency of this case. So we were extremely fortuitous and you make a good point, man. I think, I think amateurs talk tactics, experts talk logistics. Yeah. The idea is for those young lawyers and they you need to go and develop that evidence and find that evidence and then figure out a way to make sure it's packaged appropriately and then presented effectively because our jobs is to be persuasive while people sit in a box here right. in Texas. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. Learn the rules of evidence and then start digging. And making sure you can put it within the rule of a Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So where we started, we identified some people within the league who we thought would give good testimony and could help establish the potential of this credible 65-year-old man uh, who was a 26-year scout in the NBA. Well, we put this podcast on YouTube for a reason, right? We're talking about creative depots today. We're going to talk about damages. I want to see some of the depots you took talk about damages. And then I want to talk about liability because you did some things that really raised my blood pressure when you told me about them. So let's talk about the damages deposition. The very first damage deposition that we took was the GM of the the Houston Rockets who really established the foundation for some of the baseline documents that we wanted to use and to establish who this guy was, meaning my client and who he could be. And the guy was fantastic. Before I give you some examples of some other things that we did, I will say that we weaved in some creative visuals even at that early stage because I knew it would be very difficult to get these guys out of trial. It just would. Be. Oh yeah, it's not going to happen. How am I going to get these guys in the NBA to show up and come it's in not to Houston? Happen. You got the NBA Summer League, you got a million yeah. other things going on. I mean, I knew they're that. a little busy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I got one shot. I got one shot with all these guys, and I know that going into every single one. So going into every single deposition, you're thinking, I not only need to get this testimony that's going to help my case, but I need to have it visually sexy, right? I need trial a depo. Yeah. Every single one's a trial depot, Every single one's getting yeah. played for the jury. Now, I know, and everybody out there should know who's watching this, one of the benefits of taking a depot and having, being, having it be video recorded is you can cut and splice a little bit so long as question and answer is uh, consistent. Right. If you keep that integrity, you can kind of reformat it to fit the way that you want. And I've seen that done brilliantly from time to time. Right. But it's not that uh, true detective one-take sexy shot going to put you over the edge and really put fear into the hearts of these insurance companies. So my goal was to go into each one of these depots and get really clean, visually compelling trial depositions from these right. witnesses. We developed a strategy. I worked with uh, graphic artists that we have to do some things like, like what I've got right here. And So so this is being shown during the deposition. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. what I do is I'll lay up a very brief predicate before I build into the body of a deposition. This is the graphic that I developed for one of our witnesses, who's Lloyd Pierce. He was a three-year head coach for the Atlanta Hawks and was serving as the lead assistant for the time of the Indiana Pacers, okay? And so what I do is, I show the graphic, I introduce who he is. And this is after I already introduced the exhibit. I don't want to do it during the post of the deposition because so I want a clean one-take cut. Right. Then as I play it, I'll allow the opportunity to, for the witness to expand on the deposition and to give me some additional testimony uh, on top of it, depending on what he sees, whatever he's thinking. But what we do is we provide something almost like an ESPN feature while the witness is giving his testimony. And mind you, You still need to prove this up and you still need to make sure it works in the context of your deposition. And so for me, what I do is either at the beginning or at the end, you say, now, I've shown an exhibit throughout the course of your deposition. Is it fair of me to say that that's a fair and accurate representation of your background? Yes, it is. you think it would assist the jury in understanding who you are and what you forced through the MBA and from positions you held? Yes, I do. Well, all right. Well, at that point, it becomes a demonstrative that's useful, the telling of the witness's testimony. And it makes for a much more visually compelling and interesting deposition for 12 people who, for the most part, still feel like a hostage from getting cattle called in and sitting with 45 to 60 other people while you gap out for no reason. Yeah. So that was step one. That's kind of where we went through uh, or where I started, yeah. at least in the course of this step, in the course of this case. And I'll tell you, you know, you're talking, I'm listening to you, but I'm so focused on what you just showed me. And I'm like, man, that's a great <laughs> dude. This is a great dude. <laughs> this, this stuff is so strong. I mean, these visuals are so strong. The guys who know this, guys and girls, but the cognitive science behind developing a visual and presenting a visual to people, both from the learning perspective, the engagement and the credibility perspective. Right. I mean, you're hitting them on three different fronts. And as our job as lawyers, as young lawyers and any lawyers of any age, we're here to persuade. We're here to be compelling. We're here to enhance the testimony and develop the points that we need to develop to get the verdicts we need to get. And right. so these are some techniques that I worked on in this case, which we were able to turn in 18 months on a massive construction case involving a pretty complicated damage model, which I'm really proud of. And just for the viewers, 18 months and how many depositions? Uh, like 22. Yeah, that's, that's lightning fast. Pretty fast. And we could <laughs> talk about some of the moves on the sort of procedural side as well, because we're yeah. talking about a motion preferential trial setting. And I tried to use the narrow gap that I had for the NBA to fit And get into a a preferential spot. So just as an aside, before we keep going with these deposition topics though, but there's like a really small window. So the draft happens in the NBA. You got summer league and free agency start. Right. Then it's dead. And then you get back to training camp. Yeah. So I had July 18th. I was going to trial time that we record this. Right. It was going to be next Monday. Well, sounds like uh, you've got Monday free now, huh? <laughs> yeah, my money got free real quick, real quick. And, and dude I had to fight like hell to keep that trial setting too because they tried to pull some shenanigans and, and get in some late after the line discovery practice they filed a motion to stay in the court of appeals they filed a petition for rid of mandamus it's a lot of work by our team to make sure that we held that trial setting because the only way that you're going to get an outcome and get a settlement on a case like this and develop a real value in these cases is if you can get you can hold their feet to fire and get that yeah, trial setting. absolutely I'll talk to adjuster or the, whoever later at right. some point in time, right. I got other things to deal with. Uh, no, they don't want to pay out that money either. I mean, these, no. the insurance company, they don't believe the real or deadline. Or they, they have that money, but they're saying, oh, we'll keep it till Q4 you know, later on. Or no. I, don't want to, I don't want to take a in now. Yeah, why All not? Right? It makes money for me. Why well, I keep it? Exactly. I took a series of depositions like that after about 10 liability depositions because until you get yeah. those liability depositions, just we didn't really know what we had. Yeah, but you were terrifying them during the liability, right? I mean... Let's get into that now. I think it's a good point uh, because like I said, and I was saying earlier, it raised my blood pressure that you were making exhibits in the middle of the deposition. So, you know, talk to me about that. What was going on there? Why did I get you going, Mike? (sighs) It stresses me out. I'm one of those people. I'm a prepper. You know, I'm looking at depositions two weeks out. Like, okay, I have all of these things ready. Let me just kind of go through my questions. Let me think about it. Then when I go in there, shit hits the fan. I've already thought about what's going to happen in the situation. Sometimes you don't have two weeks, Mike. Sometimes you just got to make it happen, man. And so (laughs) you can prepare as much as you want to. But the thing about trial practice and the thing about these depositions is live action, baby. That's what makes it fun. So, okay, Mike, you want to see what I did in these liability depots. Okay. So look, guys, we saw that it was a construction case against a construction company. I work with Abraham Watkins. I don't see that's up on the screen here, but let me give a little predicate. Some key players in this construction project, obviously you've got the construction company that we went after that's the general contract the prime contractor who's in control of the job site and overseeing the work and, and fundamentally responsible uh, for the conditions in the field it's a text dot contract and so the actual owner and the people doing the oversight and some of the regulatory implications some of the rules that apply come from text dot so text dot is the ultimate authority in this case okay and so i was ine- inevitably going to have to take some text dot depositions Right. And it's always a decision. I mean, who do you go after in any individual case? I mean, who are you dependent going to be? Right. Going after uh, the state or the city isn't always a great call because you deal with cats. Isn't. and yeah. it can cause some problems. So we made the decision to focus. And this is an important point for young lawyers as well as to focus our attention on just the construction company because we felt that they were the ones that responsible for the fact that they were supposed to do. Now, the construction company pointed the finger at one of the subcontractors. Shocker. Okay. Go figure. It wasn't our fault; it was somebody else. Yeah. Even though it's their their road and they're the ones <laughs> doing the daily and nightly inspections, you know what's up. They're always going to point the finger. It should have out. been somebody else who put that fence up and put the safety properly? But what that does sometimes is it, it creates an opportunity because then you can draw you, you can point the fire uh, back and forth between the two now defendants if you bring them, bring somebody else in. So right, I brought this responsible third party in the suit. I, I named them the defendant. I said, hey. These people say you done wrong on this right. road. You're the one that messed this up. You're the one that didn't put the safety, uh, the protections back up that should have been there. Why'd you do that? Okay. Yeah. And so, I leveraged that posture to get some very good deposition testimony. Now, let me start. That's my sort of predicate leading into this. So, I'm taking the deposition of the textile project manager. He's given me because I'm laying out these really small facts that he has to admit to. In this case, things like, hey. Anytime there's a construction project like this, you got to have what's known as a traffic control plan. Traffic control plan's got to lay out how you're going to make safe that roadway for the traveling public. So when you started on the exhibit, were you looking at jury charge and what you needed? I'll be honest, this one, so logistically, when these cases come in, I'm always looking at the charter. the first thing you look at. Got to. Yeah, got to. Yeah, you got to know. know what you the jury's ultimately going to write their numbers on. You got to right. know what or, you got to prove, yes or no. Got to yeah. know what you got to prove. Absolutely. You look at the pattern jury charge, and and if you get a sense for where the law is going to be, you also want to take a quick look at the law. Yeah, because I knew what this case entailed, I could look up some law chapter ninety seven because it was a textile contract was going to come into play. Yeah. And so I could do some initial research, even though there isn't a, a huge volume of law on the issue. Right. To at least guide me as to what the issues were going to be, see where the traps were, and then stay clear of those a little bit. So I had a sense. But again, Mike, this wasn't a two-week prep on this. Like I'm I'm taking 16 depositions in a month. I don't always have two weeks to prep for a deposition, even in a massive case like this. And so what I do... I think my Apple Watch is freaked out, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What I do, though, is I lay out all these minor, what I call the minor premises, the minor facts, which lead to the major premise. And I lay those out and I get them to admit to those and commit to those. Well, I'm good. I'm thinking to myself, well, look, I got all this great testimony, but, but I'd really like something to seal the deal and put it in a concrete format that, that I can put into a, a presentation potentially or to show the jury an argument, either an opening or a closing argument. Like Scott already said, these people did it wrong, right? How is a defense lawyer going to say in his report that we don't, we don't have something? So I'm listening to the answers. I'm getting these answers and I get to a break and I build this chart on the fly. What you're looking at right now, I built on the fly. I typed this out, I put it in gray. I said, Hey, look, man, these are gonna be some questions I'm gonna ask you. I already know I got your testimony on this. I want to be real clear about what you said and what your answers are. Asking questions. Conditions like the one involved in this accident pose a great risk of harm to traveling public. You agree? Agree. All right, true there. Yes, sir. Alright, true. All right, thanks, sir, all right, true. Contracts and heavy civil construction are aware of the great risk of harm to traveling public posed by conditions. I'm getting gross. Do you agree with that? I agree with the true. I get through all these and I go to the end. I say, sir, can I sign your name to it? He says, yeah, you can sign it. Sign it. Zip a deposition. Boom, it's in the record. Nothing to do about it. So I do it once. The one thing I leave out on this one because it's a and I, I really don't know what this guy's going to say. Look, he's adverse to me, frankly. Yeah. Now, there's no objection to leading. If there'd been leading objections, I would have done something a little bit differently. Right. But he was represented by independent counsel. There was no leading objections. I was able to go through and ask these questions the way I wanted to. And they weren't a defendant in the lawsuit. They, they were not a defendant in the lawsuit. So yeah. they're like... Phew. So Dot was not a defendant. Yeah. But again, I, I was permitted. There was no leading objections. And I went through and I asked questions the way I wanted to. Had defense counsel to leading, I might have modified my questions a little bit and then cleaned it up just to be very clear about what the te- what the testimony was. And I think I would have gotten away with that. Yeah. It just takes longer. Right? Yeah. It just takes a lot longer. So after that, I come in. So the one thing I don't do, not do you notice here, there's no numbers. Right. I don't ask them, hey, what do you think an appropriate damage award might be or a punitive damage award might be, even though I've established the basic predicate, excuse me, the basic testimony to get gross negligence from the tech stock project <laughs> manager, the man with his feet on the ground, right. who's ultimately in control of this project. But they pointed the finger at the subcontractor. So okay. the subcontractor comes in and I say, hey, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I don't know. You sued me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I did sue you. But hey, let me show you why. And so I start that deposition with a video cut of a deposition of the, the defendant construction company saying, oh, it was the other subcontractor that, that pulled this stuff down and never should have done that it was an unsafe condition. right?" Uh, Mr. Subcontractor, did you just see what, what the other people said about you? Yeah, I did. That's a damn lie. Well, tell us all about how it's a damn lie. And right. he goes through and he lays out. I got no problem with it because I got no evidence that shows that he's anywhere near, or his company's anywhere near, the condition to kill my client. Mm-hmm. So he's already, he's riled up. And yeah. I've used this to my benefit. Mind been, Let you. me tell you about those moments. <laughs> mind, you, mind you, I am leading the shit out of this guy. Yeah. He's a defendant in this case. The defense yeah. wa- the defense lawyer goes, objection leading. I go, Mr. Defense lawyer, he's been practicing <laughs> for 40 years. He's a defendant. I'm going to lead him all I want. <laughs> <He> goes, <laughs> defense lawyer says, he doesn't seem like much of a defendant in this case, did he? I'm like, he shouldn't have pointed the finger at him, man. Bad call. So um, <laughs> we go through it. I do the same thing. And this guy spin it out. He's fantastic. I qualify him as an expert. I'm like, well, where'd you go to school? I went to this wonderful school in the SEC. I'm like, not very many good schools in the SEC, but okay. <laughs> and he yeah. goes, I'm like, I'm going to take that personal. But <laughs> all right. <laughs> he goes, well, and I'm like, well, where'd you take this? For? He's like I took construction project management. I'm like, you did. Okay. That's great. Just construction project management for a job just like this one. Job just like this one. You ever work a tech job? I've worked tons of text jobs. You ever design a traffic control plan? I have. Have you worked for construction companies as big as the one that's the defendant in this case? Certainly have. Okay. You know what we're talking about here? I do. So at that point, I'm like, well, great. I'm going to start getting opinion testimony from you, even though you don't know what's going out. <laughs> even though you don't know what was happening out there on that roadway. And he did. He had quite a bit of personal knowledge from being out there for a certain amount of time and, and watching these guys do their work. But again, right. I'm asking for some opinion here and I need to, to establish you to do it. Or well, once I got that, I, got, I go through my chart. Now, at this point, my chart's already pre made, right? Because I know I got it in my back pocket. Yeah. This is a week down the line. And I'm thinking, I already put this text out. This is going to be great. I get the same answers, but this guy is hated. I mean, this guy's pissed. He's raging. He's giving me wonderful answers. And I'm like, I take a break and I give him an opportunity to change anything he wants which is you, I, I've already you it, you've walked through most of this already. I've already gone through most of this already. Okay. So this isn't all people need to know who are seeing this. Not all this is pre like I did this live. I'm typing some of this live with it. Okay. So each one of these blocks are pre-written. I'm not just writing in true, 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 true. Some of this I'm actually writing in with it. And so if you look there on the right hand side, very last, the very last question. I give him an opportunity to change some of his testimony. I, I go back. I'm like, look, man, I don't want to trap you in any of this. I'm right. not here to do that. You're yeah. going to get a free and fair opportunity to, to, to say, hey, look, I've, I've changed my mind. I, I want to look at more evidence, whatever you want. I want to give you that opportunity. Right? I don't want to change a word he says. Well, I pull up Google at this point. Like, here in Texas, you're allowed to look at about uh, six or seven different factors, which are the factors that come into how much a jury should put a number on a company to punish them for their conduct. I want you to look at those factors looks at him. I go, what do you think? billion dollars? <laughs> not a billion dollars. He, he man, says no a, to a billion. Not a billion? <laughs> Shock. Shocked that she said no to a billion dollars. But he looks and he, and he thinks for a minute, let's say $100 million. $100 million. I say, sir, can I put $100 million down on this chart? He said, you can. And so this chart gets a whole other section to it that says, in my opinion, based on my knowledge, skill, and experience as well as facts, that you, that's how you know, i typed it myself, that I've been provided, and your my understanding of this incident, everything else about it, $100 million. And his name, project manager, so exhibit 6. So defense counsel is like, defense <laughs> counsel wasn't defense counsel in this case much longer. <laughs> that's how that worked out. The reporting after that was just like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild it was a great scene but the, the point for our listeners i think is that here's another opportunity to be creative that you can write out your charge and just think about this i mean look if they're lay witnesses i mean you got to get you know basically factual testimony or opinion testimony within, within the conception of perception of the lay witness but go ahead and chart it out yeah make it tangible yeah and if you can get something more than that you know put a chart to it do whatever you want frankly I mean, yeah. all you're doing is creating an opportunity for yourself to put something on the record or in the record, but then that company has to go and report up the line and do something with it. So in this case, I got a very experienced, very knowledgeable construction project manager who actually worked on that project to say that that defendant construction company should put a hundred, or sorry, a jury should put a hundred million dollars in the damage number so you, on damage. So you took, you had someone who you thought coming into it was going to be a pain and it would a gift. I didn't see a single thing in the record. And mind you, I, I scoured that damn record. I mean, I knew every page in it. I knew everything about the regulations. I knew everything about the construction project. I didn't see an invoice. I didn't see anything. And I just couldn't I couldn't think to myself, what is it that they're... Why is he here? Right. And so I took the opportunity very early on, posture the deposition in a way that, hey, there's an antagonist here. It's not you. Right. It's not me. It's a construction company that's not taking responsibility for its actions. And he's pointing it everywhere else. Everybody else but themselves. Failing to take responsibility. So liability sealed at that point after that one. I felt pretty good about liability. Yeah, you won't worry about that anymore. So, And just so people were aware the way that, that I, I did this too, is, I didn't run out. And, and in a, lot of these, a lot of these cases where you've got a corporate defendant is you go take a, a corporate representative pretty early on to kind of just figure, figure out what the scope yeah, of information it, is. It's for discovery depot. Super person. discovery depot. I... <laughs> There was enough information available kind of early on that I knew who some of the players were. So the depositions, like the initial IBO depositions were regional safety manager, okay. direct to the VP of operations, the highest ranking member of the company. I just named him and took his depot. I just said, sure, I'm just going to take it. cook so It It was, it was incredible. It's a great depot. Really good depot. And then uh the next one was the project engineer who had written the sort of post incident report and, and everything that I read was responsible for the traffic control on that roadway. So those were like the three primary big depots. I took another superintendent depot and then we started getting into tech stocks the independent project manager and then some other kind of peripheral, right. uh, you know, eyewitnesses and some other people as well. Yeah. But that was the sort of layout for, for that. Because I knew where I wanted to go and because I knew those were the people that were going to have both personal knowledge and be able to speak effectively on behalf of the corporation, even though they weren't noticed that way. I knew I could go get them and just get after it and then reserve the ability if I wanted to to go take a corporate rep after the fact. Who's the corporate rep going to be after I take the VP, the regional safety manager, and the project engineer for the product or for the project rather? I mean, it's probably going to be one of those three people anyway. Yeah. (laughs) What what are they going to (laughs) say? You know, what are they going to (laughs) do? And, I mean, and, and they didn't object to this at any point in time. What are they going to object to? And I have every right to pick any depositions in any order I want. I mean, fair, but once you start asking questions, you're not going to say you need to call the rep today. You just talk about the fact that you know. Okay, so let's, here's the scenario. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, you're the VP of operations. Do you not know about fair. the safety standards? Do you not know about the contract that you all signed? Do you not know about the regulations that are applicable to you under the contract? You do know that, right? Because if you didn't, that'd be freaking crazy. <laughs> okay, so you know. So let's talk about it. Fair. All right. I mean, it gets pretty easy at that point. You're the regional safety manager? I guess it just seems unfair that you're able to do this and then say, all right, I want the corporate rep as well. Let me get another six hours on this motherfucker. That's how it works, man. Look, look. I don't make the rules, man. I just play mine. I play hard. All right. liability's in the bag now, right? I mean, look, you've got enough at trial that the jury at this point is probably going to hate this construction company. Well, hey, I just before you say liabilities in the bag, man, like the scenario here is, and, and y'all saw it, I mean, we got a guy, he's a great guy, but he's riding through a construction zone at night, past yeah. a whole bunch of barrels, past right. uh, the sidewalk closed sign, Yeah. popped up onto a sidewalk, and that's that aim for him, sort of the thing that ended up taking his five. So there was, oh, and he was on a cell phone. Oh, uh, what? He was talking on his cell phone at the time. And we have the deposition, like literally, he, he was on his phone all the way into the condition, all the way up to the phone, which the way that I wanted to take that was, I thought it was going to be very powerful testimony for us, in fact, because I thought that he was doing everything appropriately. And I didn't think there was anything inherently wrong right. with riding while using hands-free and the headphones on. Right. And then we had the very lady who liked his last name. It was incredible testimony. as well, Who was another good friend of his? So that day, again, he's a Houston Rockets scout. Right. The same day Daryl Morey announced. To so they were all talking. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of back and forth between uh, members of the organization. Hey, what's right. going on? Everybody's calling my client because he was the 26 year member of the Houston Rockets who's been through every different uh, regime right. that they had. One of the members of his staff. We had wonderful sweet and kind and genuine a member of the houston rockets very nice woman who was part of their staff she just said told me that he was he told me that he stopped he was getting ready to ride and i in. all of a sudden i, I just heard a sound uncut I, I, I and so we had that but yeah. as far as liability being in the bag and let's talk you don't about know if Jerry's gonna get through all that why well, I, I just don't know yeah right he, he's in the construction zone he's riding at night yeah He's going past barrels. He's going past a sidewalk close sign, and he's on his phone. I don't think the cell phone issue is too bad, right? You're on a bike, hands free. I've been on this uh, this podcast before. I don't think there's any bad facts, man. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think look if your people are riding, your people are just, and they're acting reasonably and appropriately for the most part. I think you figure out a way to make right. it all make sense. And I think it all made sense in this case. But, so it's, I, but it's terrifying going up there. You're like, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems here, right? It's definitely a, an issue that you got to deal with. And so we needed to figure out a way to deal with it. And, and that's why those depositions were so important. Yeah. On the liability side, the reason why it was important, I was going to explain this to the jury if i have been given that opportunity, was that the reason the traffic control, the design of it, the proper installation of the right, right. devices to communicate and affirmatively provide the uh, the assurance and guidance that we need when we when we move through an area that is confusing. Right. Okay. So they didn't do that. And so he was never afforded the opportunity. He was never warned. And that is a system failure, not a human failure. That is a failure on the part of a construction company with 60 years of expertise and experience yeah. who knew to follow appropriate regulations didn't do that. And they want to point the finger at a man who did everything. Yeah. And so that was an argument I felt pretty comfortable with going up on those people. That's why I think we were able to settle, settle the case. So you took the um, L.A. Lakers head coach's deposition? Well, yeah, I did. Tell me about that it, one, well, I was lucky. <laughs> That's not a normal depot, is it? it? It felt pretty normal, man. Not, I, I, it felt normal. I, I honestly, it, it didn't, it felt good. It, it felt right. I felt like I knew it just, nah. there was nothing about it that felt weird. There's nothing about it that felt extra. I want to uh, to show y'all just maybe the sort of slide that I set up, maybe put some, some context as to why I felt so good about it, why I felt so clean. I had an opportunity to go to uh, Mark a conference or uh, seminar, rather uh, maybe two or three weeks before this deposition. And for those of you who haven't had an opportunity to see what Mark does or see him in his vials cases or, or out cases yeah. or whatever else, you definitely should go. Um, he talks logistics hundred percent. He tells you down to what you should buy, you know, for like your trial. So I would absolutely at least go one. And the guy likes visuals more than like, I don't know, hallmark or somebody on <laughs> like the guy's all pictures man oh oh he's all about it and he knows the cognitive science better than anybody else and so he says you know part of the part of, the, of what he really touts is you should and the way he does it is he actually draws these things out yeah. physically yeah. draws them out he has like a, a document camera that he sets up and does it he does it all I, I, yeah. I have one <laughs> i bought one i haven't used it yet right <laughs> i will and so uh He loves PowerPoint as well. And so I I thought to myself, well, shoot, I'm I'm taking the depot of the LA Lakers head coach, which is insane in and of itself. But so what am I? am a trial lawyer. This is what I do. Right. And uh, I thought, set up a a PowerPoint and see how it goes. So I'd never done this before. Not once in my career had I ever... I've never really used PowerPoint, frankly. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I just just thought, you know, this seems like the right opportunity for this because I needed something with the visual backing. And I knew that a visual was to be a very powerful force in the telling of this story and the telling of this witness story right. of his very good friend. Very, very good friend. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, look, I'll try and do it. And so okay, so what, the first thing we've got up here is this is this roadmap. And I can play you all some of the deposition, but I thought I'd show you the PowerPoint. Okay. So show me this PowerPoint, man. Like You learned this... How long before did you actually learn Microsoft PowerPoint? Which makes me very worried. I was like learning as I did it. I don't know what to tell you, bro. Like, you're like, how do I make this like the actual slideshow? Dude, I was Googling. I was, yeah, like I, seen, you saw me in here today. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to make it on presenter view or like slideshow view. Like, I don't know. I was Googling like every slide. I was even Googling like, how do I find this? And then I'd like Google the image. of I'm like, how do I find this image? And then like, it was wild. But I, and, and mind you, I have no outline either for this deposition. Well, yeah, I don't think there's been a previous deposition of the LA Lakers head coach. I have no, I have no outline. I really, now I've taken these damages depots and I have a general sense of where I'm going to go, but I, there's no written outline for me to follow. So if this PowerPoint all of a sudden doesn't work, I don't know what, I don't know where I'm going with this thing. <laughs> you know, if you want to see fucking freaking hot and garbage, man, I mean, that's what it might've turned into, but no risk it, no biscuit, risk serious. let's go. So this is the PowerPoint. You start off with the roadmap. That's one of the nearest big points. And I basically just I laid it out the power of threes, uh, we all know it kind of from you know, like a bunch of different sources, but I wanted to go through the witness's background and then talk about the MBA and then his reflections of his friend. So and you literally put a road for the roadmap. Literally. I, I'm very literal. I'm not very figurative. <laughs> I'm not great with that. The Lanier's much better. It served sort of dual purposes. And I think the witness first thought when I pulled it up, he was like, Is that the road that BJ was on or like my client oh, was on? Jesus. But anyway, the point is to show a road and show a road map. That's about as as metaphorical as I get. So there's the coach. That's the initial slide to open up the background. You'll see when I play the depot and I'll roll through some cuts, but I started off with, you know, kind of where you are because primacy and recency are very important. On the primacy point, you want to start off with what is the most important thing? Who is this guy and why does he matter? Right. I didn't want to start at the very beginning. I wanted to go, let's talk about who you are right now first. Right. And so first off, you were the head coach the LA Freaking Lakers. That's point number one. And then I interspliced with this image a video of his press conference. Okay? okay? So I played that, and we'll see that. And I'll talk about how I set this up in a minute. We go back to his, basically his roots. Really cool picture. The guy shattered the freaking blackboard, uh, the backboard. Board. Yeah. Incredible. We go in through his, some of his NBA stuff. You know, I just kind of softball his career a little bit. Some of the yeah. charity work he did. This was a connection through Basketball Without Boards with my client, but my client was extremely influential in developing basketball in Africa and actually are turning it into a professional league there. The basketball, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Incredible stuff. And then I even animated some of these here. So we went through his assistant coaching chops. The guy loved the picture. Here's the other point for why these visuals are great for, even for some of these witnesses, especially when there's pictures of the witness, the rapport with the witness is so strong. Oh, yeah. They're talking about themselves. They're seeing themselves. They know that you've done a little bit of work. They're engaged yeah. you're engaged. And then again, you know, as we're sitting here, you show me not all of the slides, but some of these slides will but I'm still sucked in. And I'm like, you're just narrating everything about this guy. I'm like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. This is a good dude. Great dude. Yeah. Great dude. And so we get back to present day coach. You know, you're the head coach of the LA freaking Lakers. Well, now we got to talk about the NBA. So then we get into this whole NBA phase. What am I trying to get at here? I'm talking about the course of the NBA, what matters in the NBA for people looking for positions, and then what the potential is on his staff and for B.J., like again, my client's name's BJ. Yeah. My client's with the NBA. These are pretty open-ended slides. Right. But really what this gets to is, how do you pick your staff? Because what I wanted this witness to establish was, where did BJ fit? Right. And I hit this slide. And for our viewers on the podcast, it's the plaintiff in this case. That's BJ. Okay. And you've seen the video, Mike. I mean, the reaction. Yeah, you made the LA Lakers coach almost cry. I mean, I actually cry. He was just holding it back the whole time. It was incredible because he started talking about how he wanted to have his friend be a part of his staff because his friend was a man with 26 years of unmatched experience across the nba i then transitioned his picture in the middle of that statement and he stopped himself and he just tried to keep himself together and then he gave just incredible testimony about a 33-minute phone call between himself and my client this man four days before his accident right, with his head coach who is now the head coach of the Lakers had not gotten the LA or had thought he had, he had thought that he had a really good interview with the LA Clippers and talked about the excitement between the two of them. Yeah. And then this accident, it was the most incredible testimony that I've ever gotten. And it was being just so immaculately captured by virtue of a PowerPoint, by virtue of the zoom system. And for people out there that are watching as to how to use the technique, That's the power of having these visuals. That's the thing you can really leverage when you're on Zoom because you can work in different mediums. You can work in video. You can work in an amiibo. You can work in these images. And the witness is so engaged. The ability to use visual with the Zoom world now is so easy that it's like borderline malpractice not to use it. When you know what the cognitive sciences are, and then you have at your disposal the technology to really effectively control the presentation. You're like, uh, it's all HBO and Netflix. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can present things in such a compelling and concise fashion. The entire, the way that the deposition was done in a one-take, you know, it's almost like true detective style with that one-take long shot. It, yeah. It's 40 minutes, start, stop. Yeah. So if I was going to play that for the jury, there was one objection. It, it, there's no way it would have been sustained. Right. So it was a start and stop 40-minute deposition with the head coach of the LA Lakers. And so we get into some of the LA Lakers stuff. Part of the pushback on BJ was his age. And the fact yeah. that he never had a coaching position before, 65, right? yeah, yeah, 65 sixty-five. The time pass. so I said, "Why well, are there guys who are still working as consultants and doing stuff in the NBA into their seventies, above right? the age of He said, "Well, yeah, Jerry West is in his 80s Mind you, he didn't. I didn't plan any of this. If they're not in sync, if the witness who you are taking the deposition, if the opponent is not in sync with the images, that's fine. Yeah. You just hang on an image or you black out an image, and then they can you allow them to talk and then you come back to it because you yeah. can always redirect just like you would in a deposition. In right. uh, any ordinary deposition or at trial, to where you want to go. Yeah, But it just so happened that he said, well, there's I know of a coach in Golden State who is in his 70s or 74, 75 right now. Click. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know him too. Which guy are we looking at here? That's the guy right there with the glasses on. Go figure. He's not too old to coach up Steph Curry? No. You know what I mean? Anybody yeah. else who's coaching in the NBA as a head coach in their 70s? Great partners. And then, you know, we have an opportunity at the end of this thing, like I said, to go through some of these reflections and then talk about the man himself and have a real opportunity Again, to, to put real flesh and real texture and really show the loss to a family his not a two-year-old mother, his son, a man that always made at home for Christmas in Virginia. It was just awesome. I'll sh- actually show you kind of how it worked a little bit. I'm not going to play the sound out of respect to the, the coach, but I do think it's, it's helpful. And we want to help some of these young lawyers to see what it looks like in practice. So this is the 40-minute cut, as y'all can see. 40 right. minutes. You see yeah, that? 40 minutes and 24 seconds. From 40 around. minutes, 24 seconds. So... Just quickly, I I know we talked about it, but you do lay a predicate. That's how I set this up. I said, first of all, who are you? Understand you're on the road. Right. right I'm my, my name is you know Darvent Ham. I'm the head coach of the Lakers. Yes, I understand I'm on yeah. All right, I got two exhibits that I'm gonna use during the course of this deposition. One is gonna be a PowerPoint presentation. I'm gonna attach that to exhibit one of the deposition. Number two is gonna be a video produced by the LA Lakers. Okay. I also wanna know, Mr. Ham, about your background in the NBA before we really start. Where'd you start, what'd you finish, what you do. Knowledge, skill, and experience in the MBA. Yeah, absolutely. And you agree with me that it's sort of specialized industry and you got experience in this industry. Yes, absolutely. Right. Qualifying as an expert. Yep. If you're going to give me opinion testimony, okay, I want you to give it to more likely than not. Can you do that? Yes, sir. You have my agreement. If it's less than that, you're going to tell me. Yes, I will. All right. Let's get the meat of this thing. From the top. And that's where this, that's this. That's what we're watching now. From the top. And So I just run it. And so he gives me his name. We get into some of this stuff. And then I'm just going to kind of run through it, but we go through it with them slide by slide. Yeah. Roadmap's already up in a minute 20. Yep. We get into how he's the head coach. And then I launch into a video, which I'll play for you guys just a little bit. But I play this video then. And I allow him to talk while the video is actually running in the background. And it's incredible because he's talking about how the moment when he becomes the head coach of the LA Lakers is actually bittersweet because his friend that he's known since 1995 isn't with him to enjoy the experience and to go on that ride with him. And it's literally him becoming the head coach of the LA Lakers. Him being announced. Okay. And so just as we continue to run through this, I'll say that what I did here is I, I had him prove up that video as well as a business record just in case it was an issue. Right. I found a video that was actually produced by the LA Lakers because I wanted to make sure... That I had somebody that could come in and, and prove it up as a business right. record. So he did that just in case there was any sort of issue whatsoever about, you know, having it, even though it's not necessarily coming into evidence and doesn't need to be admissible. It's just demonstrative use for purposes of his testimony. And it was assistive. Right. Why not just dot your eyes and cross your t's? Yeah. So here's Darvin talking about how he smashed the backboard and caused all kinds of damage <laughs> and, and uh, talking about his NBA career, just a great guy, phenomenal guy. And um, so we let him run. Like, it's not like it's, pop 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 because sometimes he wants to talk you want to talk about his stories in the NBA you want to talk about what he was doing you want to talk about all kinds of stuff so you got to let him talk a little bit Uh, you let him kind of run through it and then they're so thrilled the witness is so thrilled to talk about their own experiences and to share that with people that's what's so wonderful when you have these visuals and then at this point this is what we're talking about when he gets into the conversation and he's talking about what is the course and what is the practice of picking a coach in the NBA I want to show you guys so that you know You can really see the effect of of what a visual will do, even to your opponent. So he's talking about how here, uh, there's really three principal things that you do when you're picking, when you're going in for a head coaching interview. You want to define your style of play. You want to identify players who are going to fit that style of play. And then number three thing is you want to know who your coaching staff is going to be. Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about that right here. And as he's about to get into who his coaching staff is going to be, he starts talking about how, you know, I was going to have BJ on that staff. And that's how long the stop was, by the way, for. Uh, the viewers on the podcast that's a i don't want to you know glorify that but i think it's very important that people are able to to understand the effectiveness of these techniques and kind of how they can help and assist you because it helped the witness to tell the story of his friend yeah and it allowed him to communicate the the emotion that he had and the feeling that he had and the impact of the man on him to the jury the people that needed to understand that message yeah and what you did is you not only helped your case helped your client's case right but you allowed the opponent in the situation to actually feel what he's trying to convey about the person he lost so no man that was that was good that was real good (laughs) that was pretty impressive yeah no so that that was huge and at that point really the the case took a turn and i think really moved to a position where resolution was the only option because now you've made that mark you said look he's not just a scout I have shown you who this person is, right? Yeah. It's not speculative anymore. No. No, it's definitely not only within the realms of possibility, but it's the realms of, I don't know, it's going to happen. It's, like, it's going to it be a very, very likely. likely to have a huge verdict on this. And so part of the reason why we also wanted to get a number of individuals in the league, and what we're talking about is executives, we're talking about coaches, we're talking about players, players. and we're okay. talking about agents, other people who are in the industry. All right all of them, the synthesis of that information from different right. positions, some people that didn't even actually work directly within the sphere of DJ Johnson and my client right, is to mesh that all together and show exactly what you're saying. This is the reality of the right. situation. All of those blocks are there. That whole puzzle is there. And this is a completely filled in, clear and convincing right. picture for you. One other point to make is that the witnesses were also useful because we did allow them to bootstrap other witnesses. So, Coach Ham, who is now coach of the Lakers, he wasn't coach of the Lakers um, when this started. All right, He was announced during actually a deposition of one of my experts. <sighs> yes. So I took two experts. Well, I, I presented two experts that day. I think it was my human factors expert and my uh, bicycle uh, safety expert. And uh, during the course of that deposition, ESPN came out. And I think during a break, I saw it. And I went back there and I put my phone down on the table because of that. L.A. Lakers, not the new one coach. Arvin Ham. <laughs> And so what we had done before that uh, to kind of roll it back a little bit is, I'd ask these people, well, do y'all know who Darvin Ham is? Because Darvin was the one that said, look, if I ever get a head coaching job, this guy was going to get my staff. Right. And to a man, they all said as well, Coach Ham, who was on, who had done ten official head coaching interviews this year, right, was a guy who was going to get a head coaching job. But it was still sort of out there. But I at least had some credibility, like in Darvin. Coach Ham is not just the lead assistant for the Milwaukee Bucks, yeah. but he's someone who was on the on the precipice on the cusp, yeah. of being in this position where he would have hired the so Johnson. Just so happened about two months before trial. I to go to the so you had two options going into the case. Economist with a basic plan looking at maybe two million dollars, or look at a very specialized industry and say, in a specialized industry, you need to know what an executive would look at for a coach, what a coach would look at for a coach, what a player would look out for a coach. What oh, am I missing here? Agents? Yeah. And yeah. then you went and said, I'm just going to take all those depositions and prove that up. Exactly. And the three different sort of damage model that I created was, he had a job for life. That is my client, the plaintiff who passed, had a job for life with the Rockets a Scout. All right. That didn't necessarily reflect his position, his experience, his relationships in the NBA. It didn't reflect him. It, well, it's not fair to say that because he was a person who loved the scout and loved his position and wouldn't have stayed with the Rockets for 26 years than he not. Like he truly it. Right. But I think that he was at a position also where he wanted to explore other opportunities and one of yeah. those was definitely going to be coaching. But yeah. I had to capture that. He was also an agent earlier on in his life and right. he had the most lucrative possible connections and relationships you could have in a relationship-driven inter- industry. Right. So... He was just kind of doing the scouting because he just liked scouting. He, no, he just loved scouting. He just yeah. loved scouting. But he always had agents come up to him. And, and this is why I took a bunch of agent depositions and got a bunch of statements from him saying we wanted this guy. We wanted him to be part yeah. of our, uh, our agencies. We wanted, if he was an independent agency agent, he would have just absolutely destroyed it. Because talking about a guy who, who basically laid the foundations for basketball in Africa. Yeah. You're talking about, and guys have come out in the 90s and in the early 2000s, but the talent coming out of Africa now, you yeah. have Joel Embiid. Giannis, yeah. I mean, there's tons of guys, just so many guys, and there's so much more talent coming, and he basically would have been the uh, the funnel, the channel, the prism through which a lot of that talent would have come, which yeah. positioned him perfectly. One more thing, I used another chart, if I can pull it up and find it quickly, but one of the things I did in, in my depositions, even of the people that I was presenting on the agent side, was to make those charts and say, what are the qualities of a good agent? And I would have a chart, I would write yeah. it down Magnetism, ability to identify talent. And we would go through these different things. And I would say, will you just identify these qualities. I don't use the phrase, do you have an opinion? Because it sounds too stilted. Yeah. Do you think that BJ had those qualities? Do you think that my client had those qualities? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely the best. So we'd write that in. Write that in that chart. So I'd have that as well. And so even if I just wanted to show it and have that going uh, coextensive with, with my taking of the deposition for the jurors, it would be another reference. It would be a writing. And so the juries can sit there and in the jury boxes they're watching as well. And so I did that with, uh, with my agent witness, a man named Andre Buck, represents BJ Tucker. And mm-hmm. uh, we went through those qualities. We went through the, the agent certifications and what was required to certify an agent whether BJ could do that. So it was just a checklist. Yeah. And you could do that? Check. Did you could do that? Check. you could do that? Check. Any issue here? No. Check. Okay, so BJ could have been an agent. Hands down, no questions asked. Absolutely. I mean, that's just not, a, that's not even an opinion. That's a fact. Okay. Let's go through the next book. You know what I mean? And so, if your job is to persuade, you need to find these techniques, these visuals, these charts, these checklists. And I think when you're a young lawyer, or the document camera, and then doing the documents, I think when you're a young lawyer, and for young lawyers listening, that's an opportunity for us to come in and go, hey, for the people that we're working with who are dinosaurs and gray hairs who don't have these skills, <laughs> go, hey, look, I'll take this one. I can do something pretty decent with this one. I can show you how we do it. I will do it, and then we won't have to come back. And we won't have to call these witnesses to come live because. Oh, that's a hassle you know that's really hard and the insurance companies and the defense lawyers know that too and but they're, they're better on it they're betting on it but yeah. i'm going to give you a canned 40 minute perfect yeah perfect trial it, but I have put it. everything, everything into, into it, it. go yeah and so that's one of the things that we can do and, and that's why uh it's really cool it's really cool we can do that and you can do that live too by the way i mean there's no reason that you can't bring in your document camera there's no reason you can't bring in an ipad there's no reason um, Yeah, i use that we like call it time on a lot of, um, expert depots. I use it probably like half my deposition. I, I like it because I'm a paper guy, but I still want to show something. And I always like picture in picture because I know juries, just, when they hear words and that's it, it's gone. Tune it out. Yeah. It is not something to keep them locked in the way they need to. So are you doing that on zoom? Yeah. What about yeah. when you go live? Yeah. I've done it in trial three times. Oh, yeah. 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 in trial for sure. Yeah. Locking into the camera. And do Boom. It. I'm telling you right now, they're not looking at me. They are absolutely looking at the screen every yeah. single time. And so I'm, I'm drawing stuff. The only thing, the only problem I have is I'm not very good at drawing. Dude, you got to learn it, man. I know. That's where you go on YouTube and you start YouTube and sketch videos. That's what I do, man. Like are 100%. You oh, 100%. I've got a whole playlist pinned of like YouTube sketch videos so that I can get good, like Mark, like Mark yeah. Lanier, and get good on these sketches. Cause why not? It makes you an absolute threat. My dad told me, my dad's a 30 year trial lawyer where I'm from. He's a defense lawyer. I, I had a case. Uh, I had a deposition the other day with a senior defense lawyer. And that was all I did. I had good hair. And he looked like James Bond. like a defense lawyer. I might have had 340 pounds involved. That's what a defense lawyer looks like. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he told me, man, if you do anything, if I can tell you one thing, just don't be boring. Yeah. Just don't be boring. It doesn't help your case. It doesn't help the jury. Nobody appreciates it. Don't be
1: boring. And, even, uh, even
0: if you're the most legally sound, Doesn't resonate, not going to get you anywhere. Even the most clinical of of the practitioners that we have, and and you and I know a guy who's here in Houston who's had a lot of success recently, um, represented baseball players, and uh, got a big, 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 big break in town. and went down to the valley and got another big one. But even he, who represents himself as being a clinician and not necessarily so, even he certainly incorporates these visuals because he understands the efficacy. The power, and the persuasive force of these things. It's, it's you don't do them. I just think you are missing out on a big opportunity. Last thing before I review is on this one. You gave me an example of something that I really like. I just want you to, to put it out there. To basketball. So um, you want to create these really good analogies and visual representations of ideas. And so in this case, we talked about traffic control and the devices that need to be out there or that should have been out there in order to make it safe the traveling public. And my idea, had I been given the opportunity, taken it from it. <laughs> if I had gotten a chance to go try this case, is I had I had ordered two basketballs. I probably wouldn't have the photos in there on my phone because I sent it to somebody. Um but I had two Wilson basketballs. So it's a Wilson basketball and I had the NBA logo on them. And uh what I was going to do is I was going to put them in containers so there's going to be a bit of a deal I was going to pull out one and it's going to be a perfect just ordinary basketball with his basketball and I was going to say got all the components of a basketball on it that you need to same, exactly. it's got the shape, it's got the leather, it's got the creases in line, it's got the boss with the logo. And it's simple. I was going to bounce the ball and go this basketball. I was gonna reach into another bucket that had other basketballs but pull it out. I was gonna look at the basketball and it's got the same components. It's got the leather, it's got the groove and embossing this basketball's flat. And it was gonna be visually and very apparent that this basketball is flat. Yeah. I was going to try and bounce that basketball, <laughs> 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 that, that, that basketball work. <laughs> just like the traffic control out there on that roadway didn't make safe for my client or for any other the traveling public. And now, that is a good opening. That's all I got, man. There's some other fun stuff on this case, by the way, that we can go to if you want to, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity coming on the, yeah. on the podcast, man. And uh, I hope that we give something that it shows some new techniques and perspectives to uh, some of the young lawyers out there. And, um, I'm just very happy that we could be right by this family, and uh, a very great man who made a huge impact in the world of basketball and his community, and a real tragedy. Uh, very proud of that, the opportunity to work on this case. and thankful to work with Benny Augusto, he's a great mentor to me. I'm very happy, and thankful, and happy that we could get this done for the family. Absolutely, man. Hey, look, I appreciate you coming on again. I think I told you the first time around, I like how you get very creative with your trials, but now I got to say, I really like the creative depots, man. Really do I think that's the way to go from here on out. I like think it's been around for a while, but now it's just no excuse not to do not to do something visual in every single one of your depots. And for the young lawyers out there, by doing like what a car wreck depot, a car wreck depot, and instead of thinking I'm going to go through this, I'm going to try to proof up this, that's fine, but make it visually creative and figure out ways to do that, whatever that takes. And think about at trial what you want to show to keep the jury engaged. Well, I appreciate it, man.